This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. You're listening to Bass Fishing for Moves on the Paddle and Fin Podcast with your hosts Ryan Milford and Sean Lambert. Welcome back to Bass Fishing for Noobs on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. Got my co-host, Sean. Hey, guys. What's up? And tonight, we have the one and only Mr. Adam Riser in here. Welcome Good to evening. The show. Good evening, gentlemen. Have to be here with you, Ryan and Sean. Happy to have you, man. Yeah. So, uh, Adam, you know, he's kind of local to me, Middle Tennessee area. Um, if you're a tournament angler, I'm sure you've heard of this name, you know. Hammer in the big tournaments. Um, for people, you know, newer kayak anglers that might not have heard of you before, want to do a quick go over on who you are and all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, been living in the Nashville area or Nashville itself for about I don't know five years or so, and uh, that's where I've gotten uh, my jump into the tournament scene. Starting the club level, moved up to KBF, and now uh, making a push in the Hobie while still dabbling in KBF, but. Uh, uh, grew up in North Alabama, Florence, Muscle Souls, Alabama, Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler were kind of my, my uh, what I got to know as fishing, not necessarily bass fishing, but just fishing in general. But uh, the, the little asterisk uh, for me is that I lived all my 20s out in California, and that's really where I got the bug for bass fishing was out there. But uh, I was only fishing for bass maybe a couple of years out there before I moved back out to the southeast, and so... Uh, I knew when I was coming back to the Southeast, I was going to have the opportunity for all kinds of good fishing. And to say that I've taken advantage of that since then would be an understatement. So I think that's the, the quick version. So you're actually from about the same area as Jimmy is. 
Very much so. Uh, matter of fact, when he and I were talking the other day, uh, he was talking about fishing some places that, you know, when I, when I was not even a teenager, I was floating down a canoe in some of those places that he likes to do. Some of the same floats that he does today were the ones that uh, I probably attribute to much of my passion and much of my love for outdoors or just floating down a stream or being around water while surrounded by nature, like the very same places up there around like North Alabama area. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, but yeah, so Adam, yeah, he was in our paddle and fin meetup tournament. We did this weekend on Dale hollow out there at, uh, Eastport Marina and Adam smoked all of us, you know, pretty <laughs> one of the few that actually found fish that, that would bite. And, uh, the the technique that he was using kind of intrigued me, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. But what'd you call it? Long lining or what? Long lining, long line cranking. Yeah. Um, man, that tournament to say that I smoked in would not be accurate. It's a five fish tournament. Well, and only had three fish, so like yeah, but most of lake, us had zero. So <laughs> yeah, the, the, the lake smoked us. Uh, I think more than anything is, and that was the case even the day after too, when we all went out and barely caught anything. Oh. Um, now the thing is I've, I've, i fished that lake probably more than eh, most kayakers, especially most regional kayakers. I fished there a good bit and I've got some history there. So, you know, I'm going into that, that tournament last weekend with a little more confidence than, uh, most people, me and my buddy, Mark, we went out there on Friday. The tournament was on Saturday. We practiced all day Friday and barely caught anything. I think we both had a fish each and, uh, just, we were not hopeful for Saturday to the point where we were like, if we don't have any worthwhile fish to submit by you know cutoff time around that 2 or 3 p.m time we were just going to keep fishing instead of end our day early you know fish the rest of daylight and then meet up with the group later and then as it turned out uh he and i both got our fish kind of last minute um in the last hour hour and a half or so and uh it kind of forced us to rush and pack up and head over there but uh, i did catch my fish long lining um it's a technique that, you know, I've been familiar with it for a while, but Del Hollow was where I, just this year, I've really practiced it. Um, long line and a crankbait. You're basically trying to get a, a crankbait really deep is usually the, your intention for doing that. And the way you do it is a, a normal, if you bomb a cast with, with any crankbait, especially your deep diver, Typically, the first third of your retrieve is the bait diving down. The second third of your retrieve is it digging in the zone you want it to dig. And then the last third, it's coming back up and not even digging anymore. So that window, maybe about only a third of your cast, is really in the zone where you want it to be. A way to get that crankbait to stay in that zone is to long line. And the way you do it in a kayak, you go ahead and you make your long cast. You want it, If you got a target that you want that crankbait to dig. In the case in Del Hollow, I was that these were suspended fish uh, in the water column. I was doing this in about 100 foot of water. Um, but you bomb out a cast. You keep your bell open. You paddle with your bell open so that you basically let all the line off of your spool or at least what I usually consider at least two cast distance worth of line. And then once you do that, you can start reeling in your crankbait and kind of what I mentioned earlier, that's going to allow more time for that crankbait to be down in the zone where you believe the crankbait needs to be. Whether you're fishing a, a bait that dives 20 foot or 
uh, whatever. And you'll also find that when you let out that much line, whatever the bait is rated for depth wise, it'll usually get down a little deeper too. And that's uh, what I wanted to do on Del Hollow. So uh, that, that's the, the, the short version of it. And it's a lot of work because one cast can take several minutes to complete by the time you cast it, paddle it, open up your line, reel it in. Sometimes if you're using a deep diver, it's got a big bill that, uh, you know, torques a lot. Uh, whenever that's the case, you it's a good thing to turn your, your kayak broadside to where uh, your nose or your back isn't straight where the line's going. That way it won't, the, the bait won't actually pull your boat. I've got a lighter weight boat and if, uh, it keeps it from pulling you to that and you still get that maximum distance, but, um, it's, I'm not going to say it's the most fun way to fish, yeah. uh, but man, nothing, nothing else was working. And I, I, I was marking enough fish super deep. And I knew that clear water that those Dill water, those Dill hollow fish had a tendency to feed up. So I was like, man, if I can just get a bait to burn by him or go by him to get him to acknowledge it, Maybe that can be it. And, uh, you know, Mark and I had both got a bite doing that the day before and uh, ended up getting all three of my fish doing that in pretty much three different spots. You could probably see them from each other, but uh, it surprised me that it even worked. It was kind of a Hail Mary thing that just happened to work, but you get that first one and then it gives you the confidence to give it a shot on some more fish. Yeah, you saying that that ain't the funnest way to fish. Like, thinking about it, I'm like, man. that's work. Yeah, after, like, one or two times of doing that and not getting a fish. Exactly. I'd, I'd be like, this sucks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, dude, I would, have, I would have, like, thrown in the towel on that technique, too, if I didn't think that there was any other way to get them at that time, or at least with the fish that I was marking on my graph. I was like, man, this is about the only because all my other tried and true stuff that i like at del hollow like definitely wasn't happening i wasn't marking fish like up to where you uh, casting distance from the shoreline they were like off from the channel like deep deep stuff even for del hollow so it was kind of just necessity but uh it, it can be effective and the other time when that's real beneficial and it doesn't have to be like a clear water highland reservoir like a uh, del hollow if you do have those like 20 plus foot bass that you've got marked uh, you know i'm thinking like post-spawn ledge season when you hear all that early june ledge talk this is a good technique if you think your crankbait isn't diving or isn't digging down at that super deep part and you think you got to school an extra deep fish and you got to think this too many of those fish no matter what time of the year is you may be trying long line crankbaiting they don't see a lot of crankbaits at that 20 plus depth because it's not easy or there's only limited amount of baits that can even get down there. So by the time you kind of figure out what line size you need, and I use basically an eight foot rod, 12 foot or uh, 12 pound fluorocarbon. Um, that's the combo I like best for doing the long lining thing. But uh, yeah, that post spawn, that early ledge season, when those fish are more, way more willing to bite, that's another time when you can really uh, benefit from doing that. I think, if you're in a bass boat and you've got that extra height advantage, you may not need the long line because you can bomb a cast so far. But uh, in a kayak, I think that long lining can uh, stand. You can stand a benefit, even though again, it's a lot of work. You can stand a benefit from it more than than most. I think. What action is the rod that you're using for that? Yeah, um, that rod that I have for that one. 
again, it's like a 7-Eleven rod. You might as well call it an eight-foot rod. It's got a big handle on it. Um, it's a medium heavy um, because most crate banks that are going to go down super deep, the, again, that 20 plus, they probably have some form of substantial bill on it that's going to pull mm. a good bit. And if the whole goal is to make a long cast as possible so that you can get that bait down, a longer rod is going to help launch that. But some of those big deep divers, they weigh a big bit. I mean, if you look at a Strike King like 8XD, 10XD, uh, who else? Six Sense makes a good one. Profound Outdoors makes a good one. Like you know, these are all popular deep diving crankbaits. Or uh, you want something that has a little more backbone than your rod that you would use for throwing a DT6 or a square bill rod or something like that. It's a different concept, like doing the deep thing. So medium heavy. And when you have that much line out, and I'm using 100% fluorocarbon, if they eat it on basically the end of the cast or near the end of the cast, most of the time I barely even feel the bite. And there's so much stretch there. You want to have a little backbone or else it's going to be too spongy for what you're doing just because there's so much line out. You know, if you're square billing a, a laydown right up on the bank that's, you know, 15, 20 foot in front of you, you can afford to have a much more flimsy rod if you're cranking shallow or something. You know, all the stuff you hear about having a, a rod that has some some uh, give to it when you're when you're uh, crankbaiting. So you can you could probably throw like something you throw at an Alabama rig or uh, I'm trying to think of other uses that I would have. It's mostly my deep cranking rod. Um, is this one? It's a loose super duty one. It's I forget which one it is, but uh, yeah, medium heavy, extra long. I would say the length on that's more important than anything. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you had that set up specifically for that or if you had more. I did. Purposes you, you, for you wouldn't be able to make the long casts uh, that you need to make if it wasn't for that. Um, that's Del Hollow's a lake where I will always have that set up with me because um, it's always going to be an option there. So that was, you know, again, it's not the, the, my preferred way to do it, but uh, it's what worked and it was what was working when nothing else was working. Yeah, I, I tried um, uh, to throw underspins and wacky rigs and stuff all morning. And uh, finally, in the afternoon, maybe like 1.30, I started throwing a jointed crankbait. And in 15 minutes, I caught three fish. They're all under really? 12 inches. But, yeah, okay. So um, I wish I would have tried it in the morning because I didn't even think about breaking it out until the afternoon. And I was kind of bored with throwing the swim bait for uh, all morning. I was like, ah, oh, the sure. heck with that. I'm going to try something and uh then i wish i would have been throwing that uh jointed crankbait more in the yeah, morning I, I felt bad because like I, i'm such a big fan of del hollow and it's such a special place that like anyone that doesn't get to fish it regularly which is the majority of the people that were at our event over the past weekend like i wanted to catch fish i wanted the lake to show out but i knew after friday it was fishing super tough and the, it, i promise there's a time of the year when those fish <laughs> on that lake are on the bank and you can do your typical, you know, sit off of a point and just cast to the bank or there's a time when those fish get 15 foot or shallower or get right up on the bank. It just wasn't then and probably isn't now. It's probably going to happen here in the next week or two. You can, you can get away with the fish more typically there, but for right now you had to do some more unorthodox stuff, I suppose. And, you know, well, I'll get back to that here in a minute. I, I wanted to, I had a couple more questions about the long lining. Um, sure. You said something about leaving the bail open. Are you, are you using that in, uh, setup? Am I using what setup? 
like for the long line, are you using a spinning combo? No, I mean, you could, you could use a spinning combo. I'm using a bait caster though, like a six speed reel. Um, again, you're probably going to have some crank baits that, uh, pull a little bit. So you want to have something that can winch. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't go higher than a seven speed reel. Six speed is, uh, what I use. Um, you really want to get particular. You want to have something with a wide spool, which is going to allow you to put on a lot of extra line on there. Again, like you're emptying out your spool. Now, let me let me correct that. I use backing on all my reels, spinning, bait casting, whatever. When I say about backing, I usually buy a thousand yards and pay ten dollars for some cheap twelve pound mono, and I will put that back backing usually like. 75% of all my reels will have that backing on it. And then I'll usually put, I don't know, probably somewhere between a cast and a half to three casts, maybe more than that, I suppose, worth of whatever line I'm going to use, be it braid floor or carbon on top of that. That's just going to save you money um, so you don't end up putting a whole like 200-yard spool of expensive fluorocarbon on the whole reel, but you're, you're only ever going to use that first yards for casts even after you cut off lures over the course of weeks or months or whatever so that backing's a big deal but the an extra wide spool if you're long lining will allow you to fill it up with some little more extra line than you would typically again this is this is me being extra considerate of the technique you could take your your, your typical cranking rod and reel and still do this but uh that knowing that this is something specifically to that lake or the, the conditions called for it i did have that set up ready and uh good to go for exactly what i wanted to do okay yeah i was just wondering because you said something about opening up the bail and you know that made me think of a spinning reel so yeah that's probably yeah you're probably right i guess technically uh there's not a bail on a, a, a bait caster what would that just be opening up the spool i guess opening yeah, the spool yeah Wherever the is, spool to free spool or free line yeah, or whatever yeah. they call we that it, it open though why that way you can paddle in and see i can see on my sometimes i'll put some electrical tape over my uh, connection knot from my backing line to my main line so whether i've got the tape or if i'm lazy i don't have the tape and i just have a knot I'll sit there and I'll have the rod open. I'll be paddling, letting all that line come out. And right as I see that it's about to hit to that connection knot, that's when I'll click over, turn the boat around, and start cranking away at that time. But and give yourself that, a lot of line. That's that's a big deal. With that technique, are you more are you worried about at all like what you're rolling over, or you're just shooting for a depth at that point? Uh, I, I am kind of shooting for a depth. It, it is what I've learned. Um, I will say too, I always, whenever I'm, I'm cranking at all, it doesn't have to be a long lining, but especially whenever I'm cranking more than I'd say 10 foot, I have a plug knocker with me. I wish I, I don't have it in right now. It's packed away in my truck. Um, but I have a plug knocker because I don't care if I use cheap or expensive ones. Uh, you're going to hang up. Like if you crank deep, you're going to hang up. And most of the time when I hang up, it's on old fishing line. It's not even on, like I can, I, I've gotten good enough over the years now where I can usually, if I'm snagged on uh, or structure or cover down there, I kind of know how to finagle my way and get that bait to come back to me without too much work. And then usually at the times when I break off, it's on old fishing line and you can kind of feel like, like, oh, that's some old line there. And usually it'll cut into my line and I'll lose the bait. And that's uh, what I, when I, if I do lose one, that's usually what it is. But the plug knocker will save you a lot of money. There's a bunch of different ones out there. Buy the ones with the little chains on them. 
Um, especially if you do the big swim baiting thing, that's another very good excuse to have those is any expensive baits you're throwing, you want to get those back to you. Uh, but yeah, you're You're going to bump into stuff. You're going to, uh, you, you don't have to dig necessarily, you know, that's, you know, crankbaiting one-on-one tells you you want to be digging the bottom and having it deflect and all that. And yeah, that does promote a bite. But, uh, in this case, like again, the past weekend, these fish were in a 104 foot of water suspended in about 40 or 45 foot. And this crankbait was getting down to, I think 30 or 33. And so they were coming up from the, the 40 foot range and hitting it up in the 33. Again, this is a, a clear water, unique situation. I don't, I may go a whole nother year again before I have to do that technique, but, uh, well, we'll see. I was going to ask there, like when you're seeing fish on there, what's the max depth that you can actually use this technique to get to? I got to feel I was getting pretty close to it. Um, cause beyond that, I'm probably trying to vertical fish them. Like you, like you mentioned the underspin, that would be one of my, like, uh, ideas, especially this time of year, I'm um, just vertical fishing them, whether it's a jigging spoon or, or drop shotting, like, you know, a video game, just dropping on them. Like it, uh, me and my buddies that fish Del Hollow regularly, like that's one of our favorite things to do. How'd you catch it? We were dropping on them and that can mean any number of things, Demiki rig, drop shot, uh, anything where you're, it's a, a purely a vertical technique. You're staring at your graph. You're typically watching the fish come up on your graph and, uh, check out your lord and in most of my cases they don't care for it and they swim away but uh, <laughs> the, yeah I get uh, I would say that, I, that was at my limit for for deep cranking I mean that was literally I bought a, a, a handful of um, deep diving crankbaits over the summer at when I was kind of trying to hone in on this bite on Del Hollow the deep cranking bite I bought crankbaits that were a, the, the deepest diving I could find, but also cheap ones because I knew I was going to lose them at some point. And I what, didn't really care too much about the color. Um, and so far, all of them work. Uh, me, me and my buddy Mark have both, I, I've kind of handed him a few and be like, you know, try these. And we've used some pretty wacky ones, some pretty, a few of them are like some old school lures. And then some of them are new ones that are not popular or, or probably collecting dust on a lot of tackle shop shelves. But Again, if these fish ain't seen much at that depth, especially a crankbait, it's a reaction bite. You know, it's something going by them at that depth, and chances are when they're suspended like that, they just haven't seen anything presented like that, and they just, they'll they'll eat it, you know? Yeah, see, I, I was going to ask that, too, because at that depth, I'd have no idea what color to try to throw at them. Uh, it, man, your whites and your chartreuses, um, if you do some... Uh, investigating on on what different colors do in, in the light spectrum at different depths. yeah I've, I've looked at that before i was just going to say that something yeah. that would look uh one way in 15 feet of water is going to look completely different down Ain't that crazy like that. and, and yeah. again like in del hollow where you know where i was doing this technique i would say the water depth was i don't know 10 to 12 foot of clarity if the sun's out real good, you know, they can, they can pick it up even more, I suppose. And, the, and those fish on those lakes, you got to consider in a, in a fishery that is clear most of the time, that's what the fish are used to. So when it gets muddy, you can take advantage of that because they don't see as good. They're not conditioned to that. Or if you got a fishery that's uh, perpetually muddy, they're used to that. And, and you don't have to try to cater to that. Oh, let me find it. That's, that's what that fish knows its entire life and its lineage is 
uh, is that type of water. So I knew those fish were accustomed to that. And again, they weren't afraid to, you know, move 10 feet uh, to, 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 to get a lure. But color-wise, I mean, I think the, the crank that I had was super standard. I think it had a light blue back, mostly white body, and a little bit of chartreuse on the belly. I've caught them just as good with like a full blue back chartreuse, like straight white with, you know, anything just kind of shad pattern. You, you don't got to overthink it. I think it's more that they haven't seen a lot of crate baits at that depth and you get that bite for that reason more than a color thing. You can probably keep it simple on the colors. That's cool. I, it, it, Look, this yeah. the, that deep that deep cranking that long line and stuff that is some more advanced stuff. Um, it, it's stuff that I'm still learning and still trying to understand the subtleties of, of doing that. And then again, since it, it requires so much more effort per cast than maybe any other technique, yeah, maybe just about anything else that I can think of. Uh, that that's why you're you're not hearing a lot about that. And again. <laughs> If I, if I can catch them doing something else, even if I know they're at that depth, I'd still rather do that than doing that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Last resort. Yeah, but it does work. If you know if you know those fish are at that depth there, it is worth exploring that. But I, I would say if anyone does want to go try it, go try it, uh, at least in the southeast, late May, all through the month of June. Those time when all those fish that just spawn move out deep and they're so much more willing to eat and they haven't seen those deep crankbaits all year yet, that's the time. If you want to experiment with that, uh, pick your post-spawn time to do that. It would be my recommendation. Are you doing much uh, varying in your retrieve for that, or are you just kind of cranking? I'll, I'll experiment. Um, I think a lot of time those fish are happy to eat it on straight retrieve. But uh, with any retrieve that I use with a moving bait, I don't care what the moving bait is, uh, stutters, pauses, little rips, anything to just break up a standard pattern, maybe just kill it. If you've been burning it, maybe just kill it. Anything like that can trigger a strike. And I've learned it can really clue you in if you've had some fish following it. If you just kill it and then I get the strike, I'm like, oh, man, that means some fish are probably looking at it more than I even realized. Um, that's super true. And if you do swim bait fish, when I say swim bait fish, and I mean like anything that you do a slow to medium straight retrieve, whether it's like a Kai tech or a glide bait or anything like that, anything where in, in clear water, where you have fish that follow it, when you just stop it, especially if you're doing like a fast retreat and then kill it, sometimes those fish, it's a, as I say, have no choice, but to just run into it. Um, so just play with it. Uh, not that you can't catch them on a straight retrieve. But, you know, do some rod pops, do a burn and stop, you know, see if uh, those fish react to it. And I mean, literally just yesterday, I, we, we got a tournament on Percy Priest yesterday. <clears throat> and if anyone's watching this, they may benefit uh, tomorrow if the pattern still holds. But uh, I was cranking yesterday out there and the pattern that, that I found to be working was ripping that crankbait. If it was a straight retrieve, they didn't want it. They wanted some, some erratic action to it. And that's what got the bite and they wouldn't react to anything else. So just play around with it. You're not going to hurt anything by, you know, ripping it fast or, you know, stopping or kill it. So just play with it. Cool. So you had a tournament yesterday on Priest? That's a, or no, I practiced yesterday. We got a okay. tournament in the morning. Oh, so you're, you're doing that one? 
Yeah, yeah. I just signed up. I don't know, probably an hour ago. <laughs> I got to work in the morning. Yeah, mm. I, based, based, based on I'm, what I found, I don't think you're gonna miss much. Like, it's super tough out there right now. Yeah, well, the northern part, I've talked about it on here before, but the northern part of Percy Priest is really tough for me anyways, just because it, it's deeper up there. Out of fish, that deeper water. Yep. Now, you put put me on the southern end, down there by, like, Fate Sanders or something, yep. I, I usually do okay down there. That, that's exactly why I've spent, I mean, I live closer to the north end. I live in East Nashville, so if I want to go hit Priest for a little bit, the north end is the closest location for me um but because all the turn all the big boat tournaments happen on the south end in my opinion the north end gets the least amount of bass boat pressure um and even though it does take more work to figure out i have been happy to put in the work and i've seen some big fish because of it and i and i feel cozier on that end than i do on the south end these days um there's you know a handful of my buddies would much rather fish on the other end but uh, you, you stand a better chance of getting a smallmouth on the north end too. Go up by the dam, you stand a better chance of getting a smallmouth. So uh, I like that factor as well. But that's the end that I'm cozy, and we'll see how it goes tomorrow. I can see it going any way tomorrow, but uh, I like that part of the lake for sure. Yeah, I definitely like to learn how to fish deeper, like get more comfortable with it. You know, where I, I, don't, I, I just feel like, which you kind of, I feel like you kind of threw me off on this whole idea this weekend but I, I i feel like i need a better fish finder before i can really do that because i got a little four inch and then you told me this weekend you're like yeah i fished out here at dale hollow for the longest time just using navionics not with yeah. no fish finder <laughs> yeah so, well at least the, the first couple of years i fished and this i'm talking like tournaments like i didn't have a graph um i would just pull up navionics on my phone and you know, drop a lure down and then hold up the, the amount of line. I was like, okay, I think I was about in 15 foot of water based on the amount of line I just let off there. So um, you can absolutely get it done that way. You really don't need super fancy graphs. Trust me, anything that I'm marking, I'm not, it's not because I have a, I, I've got a, a, I currently run a Humminbird um, Solix, or no, a Humminbird Helix Gen 3. And before that, for four years, I had a five inch Lawrence TI. That's what I have right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, try to do it. How, you ever try to do it a side uh, side imaging on a five inch screen? It's, it's a little, <laughs> little bit of, a little bit of a struggle to the point where you even wonder if you should be using it. But um, man, that little Lawrence is is what I did the vast majority of my learning on. And water temp, your your depth in two D sonar, your traditional down sonar is is really all you need. Um, that side imaging stuff, yeah, it's beneficial, but I would say it's beneficial if you have like the, the the higher resolution, higher frequency ones that you can see in detail what you're going over. Um, but man, the, the vast majority of the fishing you would need to do, you just need your water temp and water depth. And if you've got a good mapping system, whether it's on the same screen as your graph or if you're pulling it up on your phone, um, I mean, shoot, I know a handful of guys that as long as they can connect the iPad, they'll waterproof the iPad and bring that in the boat with them. And that's a whole nother screen right there that maybe you can just devote to strictly mapping. Uh, so use what you can, but you don't need to think like, oh, this guy over here has, you know, a 12 inch screen and 
uh, fancy graph. You don't need it. You, you can totally get it done with the, the smaller stuff. I, what, mapping is one thing I definitely need to start taking advantage of on my my uh, Lorance set. It it can do all that stuff, and I just haven't played with it at all. I just I end up just staring at the. I usually uh, turn my side imaging onto down only, and then just use it yep. like I would normal uh, 2D yep. sonar. So it depends on where you're at. You know, if you're in like a swampy, shallow water fishery. That mapping's not going to be too big of a deal, but like Percy Priest here in Nashville uh, is, we call it the rock garden. There's really not much for cover. It's basically just straight rock from yeah. top to bottom. <laughs> and so to me, mapping on that lake is crucial. Um, being able to see the subtle contour changes on a map or on a contour map, that's, the, that's where you're going to benefit on a fishery like that. Whereas, you know, you go to Gunnersville, even though I know there's the ledge time and everything. If you just know how to fish grass, you don't really need to be a wizard on the contours or on the mapping thing. So there's a, a, a time and a place and a benefit for leaning on uh, uh, contours versus sonar more than the other. But, um, man, just having the basics is really all you, all you need to do most of what you would need to do. Yeah, I've I've got a Lorentz Hook Two Four X, and those are good units, man. They get I, I've been trying to pay a little more attention, like especially at Dale Hollow. I was trying to pay more attention to the actual like graph part of it, because um, usually it's like water depth and water temp. That's all I really use it for. Yeah. But yeah. I was actually like I was. I think I, I think it was Jimmy. I was going alongside of him. And he's like. Oh, I see a bait ball on mine, so I'd look at it, kind of see what it looks like. Yeah, then, yeah. Then we were going over a grassy area, and, well, I didn't know it was grassy at the time, and I saw something on my graph, and then I looked down, and you can actually, it's so clear there at Dale Hollow, you can look down, and I could see yeah. the grass under there. I'm like, okay, that's what that is. So, starting to pick that up. But as far as mapping on that, it don't show you an actual map, but you can place markers and stuff like that, so... Mm, okay, yeah, the, yeah, and the mapping thing. So one of the reasons I switched switched over to Hummingbird was because you can use Lake Master. You have to pay extra for it, but I've learned over the last few years, especially traveling out, out of town for a lot of events, how valuable that specific mapping program can be. There's a lot that I haven't tried. Like I've heard uh, C-Maps on Lorance is, is really excellent. Um, I haven't tried it, but I got a feeling it's good. And there's, there's certainly no perfect brand or unit when you talk about fishing electronics right now. Um, I know that there, you'll see a lot of the pros. They'll cherry pick. They'll have three or four different brands on their boats when you can <laughs> afford to do that. And uh, they'll, they'll use the best features from each one of them. Um, for, at least for what I want to learn and what I want to do for now, the Hummingbird's best for me. But there's still plenty of times, and even my friends have agreed with me, where I'm like, man, I really miss having this feature on the, on Lawrence or, you know, uh, th there's certainly no perfect unit. So it's just kind of get what you want to get, get, get what you like, and then learn how to use that specific unit to, to your benefit the best as possible. But dude, that's, you want to talk, you, you hear the time on the water thing. I think more so than any lure technique, uh, learning your electronics is where the time on the water really, really benefits. I'm talking just, 
hours of, of just straight graphing or around familiar stuff, learning what uh, hybrid bass look like versus crappie versus a bluegill versus bass. That's stuff that comes with years of times of doing this. I've still got a plenty to learn and I'm still learning every time, but uh, I think that the electronics uh, education requires the most in person and it changes lake by lake too. You got to change your settings for every time you launch on a new body of water. Um, that's really where you just got to put the time in more than anything. Cool. Oh, there, there was something that I was wanting to uh, bring up because we were talking about it, you know, on Sunday, you know, a bunch of people left and went home, but there were several of us that went out there and was fishing. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, it wasn't a great day. I, I mean, between <laughs> between all of us, yeah. I think like For what maybe, three maybe, keepers. Yeah, maybe. like maybe out three of like a dozen best. guys or something. Yeah, and then you know we had some good sunfish that were caught. <laughs> but uh, tons of those there. And they're huge. Like it was the yeah. the one I caught was the size of my yeah. hand. I could barely grip it. And you know, I, I don't have like shack hands or nothing, but you <laughs> know, I'm, I'm I'm a good sized dude. So like oh. I feel like you get, you get a handful of those, you got a good meal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh but yeah, you when we were getting off the water, you were saying like, Yeah, I feel like the water temp needs to come down a little bit more. Sorry. And I, I asked you, like, what what do you think the ideal would be? I believe you said, like, 60 or lower 60, somewhere around that range. Because yeah. it was around, like, 68 or somewhere around that range. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, you know, I've, I assume that's when they're really going to get in on that fall bite feeding up and everything. Yep. It's Is that, like, Dale Hollow or Tennessee specific? Or you, you kind of go with that? But, most of the, the lakes... Uh, in our region, middle Tennessee, pretty much all across Tennessee. And I can kind of, uh, speak to the, that being the truth based on watching, you know, the pros fishing Chickamauga last week. And I keep up with fishing reports and fishing events like statewide region wide. And based on everything that I heard, like that's the, the common consensus right now, as long as those temps are around that 68, 70, and they've been that way for a while. And, you know, most of these lakes that are going to that are going to turn over in the fall have not turned over yet. So it's kind of that stagnant sit and wait for that. Uh, those fish need something to really push them to think, oh, I need to feed up winters around the corner. Literally, as we're speaking, there's a front passing through right now. By the time we wake up in the morning, it's going to be 20 degrees colder than it was yesterday. Um, those cold spells, like your first frosts coming into the autumn, like those are going to be some of the triggering events, uh, that really push some of those fish, uh, to, to go, Hey, I need to start eating a bunch of food here. And, uh, you'll see that. And that's what I felt that Del Hollow just, it wasn't there yet. It was still limbo mode. It was still wait for that cold snap to come. And Del Hollow is a lake more than most lakes. Those fish like some cold, sloppy weather out there. If you if you want to, uh, when the dead of winter bites tough, that's probably the best lake I know of, at least in this region to go to. And you can still catch you a big bag of fish without having to work too hard compared to a lot of the neighboring fisheries. So, yep, 60 to 65 is what we're looking for. It's going to, I mean, 
we're going to start at about 65, but I, I think, uh, you know, a few days after Halloween is my prediction for some really good fishing here for the next several weeks. I, I just pulled the forecast up when you said that. I didn't even realize, like, you know, today was like a high of 79, tomorrow's a high of 58. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. crazy. It's a, it's a legit front. This this may be the last, like, because I don't know about what uh, – where where you're at ryan but it's the thunderstorm here you you may actually be getting some of this system too up there sean i don't know if you're getting it up there but is that front passing by up there do you know uh it's it's gonna be it's definitely the temperature's changing big time like today it was probably in the mid 70s and tomorrow it's only supposed to make it until the low 60s so it's definitely up here by us too you'll be be a few hours behind but it's a pretty big system moving through but yeah you know for this next week, if I remember correctly, we're gonna have some like legit fall weather here, as opposed to dude, it was eighty five yesterday. I was <laughs> yeah. eighty five yesterday, man. So I think that's probably gonna be about the last of it uh, if you go by previous years. We'll see. I'm ready for the bite to be good, man. It's been it's been pretty tough, no matter where I've gone the last several weeks. I don't know about you guys. It has been tougher oh. for me too. The the bite's always tough for me. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I was actually. You know, feeling like it was starting to get better because I think it was like August, maybe early September. Dude, it was rough for me. Um, they had the, uh, you know, CKT had the opening t- uh, tournament out on Percy Priest, the two day tournament. Best five fish between the two days. I skunked both days. Like it was, yeah. it was rough. And then uh, it was just, the CKT Stones River tournament. Finally, I broke that uh, skunk streak, and uh, y'all caught fish that day. I, I, I caught several fish at the Williamsport tournament that me and you did. Yeah, you caught and, them pretty but, good that day. Well, I caught a bunch of them, but they were yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I only caught three over twelve inches, and they all barely met twelve. That is twelve, twelve, and a twelve and three quarter. <laughs> It's September is extra tough nationwide. Fish have seen all the lures at that point. The temperatures are usually still, you know, summertime hot. And then usually even like first half of October, even though you'll see little uh, sprinklings of good bites or fall feeding during then, like even that's pretty tough too. Like I say, literally tonight as we speak, I think is going to be the big change that's going to start to kick off some of this bite here. So the the days where you got to have the hoodie on all day, like – those yeah, are usually yeah. the day, you know, and then you know, I ain't even put a hoodie on yet. Yeah, see, you want the you want the hoodie on. You want that the surface of the water to be covered in a bunch of leaves right now. Those are all the signs that tell you, yeah, the fall bite's about to really happen now. So uh, anytime now, at least that's what I'm telling myself in, in hopes that uh, we've got some <laughs> good fishing around the corner here. I don't yeah. know that first morning on Dale Hollow that Saturday morning where I had to like scrape frost off my kayak. Oh yeah, was it was like, chilly. Uh, oh oh well, I. I didn't get out that morning. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. I, 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 I got on the water about noon that day. <laughs> I had about two hours to fish that tournament. <laughs> you, you getting out there at all on that day is impressive based on what I understood. So. I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, uh, rough day. But, yeah, it was chilly that morning, so uh, I was Indeed. definitely hooding it up at that point. But, you know, even Dale Hollow, like, the trip's starting out. You know, I got there Thursday night, and 
So I got on the water Friday morning. We got out there for like, I think four hours or something like that. And I caught four fish. They're all small, but you know, I caught fish. We got back out there that afternoon for a couple hours. I caught two and then tournament day. I was only out there a couple hours. I caught one. And then that Sunday, man, I, I caught that big old sunfish and I couldn't catch anything after that. It was super tough. I felt bad because we all went, my understanding, we all went where I recommended, you know, so like, uh, you know, it's your fault. I'll take the blame for that one if I need to, but no, I, uh, I will. I can't speak for everybody that went out there, but I will speak for me, Dustin, Brian, and Jay. We are happy. We went out there. Good. Good. And I mean, no prettier place than that, right? Especially oh, yeah, it was fall. beautiful. Like, now, it is weird because usually that's a lake. Del Hall is a lake where you don't have to worry about running into the boat pressure. Um, there's plenty of days I've been out there where I don't see another person fishing. Or if you tuck yourself back in a cove, you don't see another person or even signs of life. You know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, I dig that aspect about it. But they got a couple big boat tournaments coming up there. I don't remember if one's... They may even have one starting tomorrow or something, but they got a couple of big events. Um, and that's why we saw uh, the handful of bass boats that we saw. Typically you would not see those guys out there at all. Um, I don't really think that affected the bite. I'm pretty sure they weren't catching anything either, but uh, you just caught it at a bad time, but I'm, I'm glad you guys still went out there and gave it a shot and understood just how pretty it is out there. You got deep clear water and you got the scenery and, it's it doesn't take long to figure out why it's a special place in my opinion yeah well we're glad we went out there because afterwards we decided to get some food and uh we looked up the closest place we could find it was called t-bone barbecue and it's like this little you know middle of nowhere hole in the wall i might have drove by it yeah yeah we we drove by it going there Okay. And then we looked it up and like, hey, didn't we see that place? And we stopped there. And dude, good I'm stuff. Talk- I ordered pulled pork nachos. Instead of a plate, they served it in a full size cast iron skillet. Wow! And it was stacked up, and it was it was good stuff. You know, we wow. we T-bone we had coming good- through. Yeah. Hey. We told them we give them a shout out on the podcast, so I gotta give them a shout out because oh, they yeah. like. They've- they bunch of cool people in there. Full of barbecue and nachos. That's worthy yeah. of a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to hey, make a that. that next time I'm up there. Yeah, definitely check that place out. It's, it's cool. pretty cool. And there, there's like some real country people in there. And we we told them that Brian and Jay were uh, from Illinois. And he's like, don't, don't tell that to people. We don't get good reaction <laughs> out of that down there. <laughs> is, it, is it bad that sometimes when I have like a bad day on the water, I'll, I'll make up for it by trying to like eat some like feel good food, even if it's not good for me. But then I'm also guilty. This tells you a little bit something about my personality of when I have a good day on the water, I'm going to celebrate by eating like a double bacon cheeseburger, you know, <laughs> like either way I seem to find like if, if I see that good food spot, while uh, getting off the water, it's, it's always a temptation for me to go in there and I, get a bite. I, yeah, hey, I celebrate good and bad days the same way, yeah. you know. <laughs> like, man, some good food. Hey, I, I'm a, I'm a hefty boy, you know. I, I like. I'm, my I'm food. there with you. <laughs> uh, all right. So, in more favorable conditions, what, what's, what, what would you say your favorite technique to throw is? 
just in general like yeah. just wide open uh it's definitely gonna be something shallow probably top water I, i'm a top water nut um, whether I'm throwing a buzz bait or a frog, if I can find that bite, that's the one I'm going to lean on. Um, I've said before, like my, my, my preferred time and when I've had the most tournament success is in the first half of the year, either right before the fish go on the beds or when they're on the beds or right after they're off the beds, maybe a few are still on there still, but whenever they're at the shallow, whenever the majority of the fish in that fishery are up shallow due to the spawn is when i'm most cozy so it's any number of shallow water techniques um this year swim jigging and buzz baiting accounted for most of my shallow water bites and that turned into checks for me at the end of events um man i, I want to give you a good answer if i'm going to say what is my my favorite technique i feel like it's got to be something top water frogging's right up there i don't get a chance to do a lot of frogging especially when you talk about like grass frogging we don't have a lot of those options here in middle Tennessee. We kind of got to run down mm -hmm. to Gunnersville or uh, that's the one thing we, we don't have uh, an abundance of is, is uh, grass to fish here, at least grass that you can uh, well, get good bites out of regularly. I'll go with me, the frog is my answer. I, I was going to ask, I haven't fished old hickory a lot, but I've heard there's grass out there. Have, have you, do you fish that very often? Yes, I fished old hickory a lot, and yes, there is grass there, and I think it sucks, and I don't recommend okay. it. <laughs> it is there's so much good-looking stuff on old fishery that doesn't kick out fish. Um, it, it's so funny when you get in the Nashville area. Our two main lakes, whether you're a bass boat or a kayaker, your two quickest, most successful lakes are Old Hickory Lake, which is basically a river, and then you. Uh, you have Percy Priest, which is closer to a Highland Reservoir. So they're both very different. They fish different. Um, and what I find is it's pretty polarized. You have locals that really prefer one over the other. Um, I prefer Percy Priest over Old Hickory. Yeah. But then you've got some guys that hate the idea of going to Percy Priest, and they're way more comfortable being at Old Hickory. Um, Oddly enough, I've had some success with Old Hickory when I totally wasn't expecting to. And I think, I, shoot, I may even won more money on Old Hickory than I have Percy Priest. But nine out of ten days, I'd rather be on Percy Priest. Um, it's just not, like, my understanding back in the day, like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, I heard the Old Hickory had a lot more grass in it. And it was a lot better fishery. And they used to do a lot more uh, premier tournaments there. But uh, I think they've sprayed and gotten rid of a lot of grass. And, hey, you get rid of grass in any fishery, your, uh, the biology there is going to take a hurt into the, to whatever degree. I've just There's a certain window in the spring where I, I do like old hickory, but it's very slim. And past that, I feel like I've had more wasted days there than I've had successful days. So I'm not saying don't go up there. You may like it. You know, my buddy Nick Hood, he won AOI in our club uh, th this year. That's his his lake, and he he does great on that lake. And I'll even ask him up, like, dude, I'm struggling. What I need to do? And he usually has some good insight. Um, so go up there. Don't let me discourage you, but it's not my favorite place. Well, d didn't you win the season opener for KBSTN up there? I know. <laughs> and I, 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 that's what I'm saying, man. Like it's 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 treated me good during certain times, and that was that exactly to my point. I, those fish were pretty much on the beds. I knew what they were doing. I went to a spot that uh, most guys wouldn't really think to go. I was, 
I was just super dialed in on that tournament. I'll actually tell you the story on that one. So um, I got to give credit to Craig Dye, who has won that tournament in years past. And uh, Craig told me a couple of years ago the ramp he wanted out of. And since I had hardly any confidence on that lake, when it came for practicing for this tournament, which I believe was like an early April tournament this year, um, I went out to that ramp. And Russ Snyder's was going to meet me at that ramp to practice that day too. He was about 10 minutes behind me. So I went ahead and launched within the first 10 minutes. Uh, I caught two good ones and then shook off two right after that, but almost like four fish and probably like 10 casts or something. Right. And then Russ pulls up and I'm right there at the ramp and Russ pulls up and I paddle over to Russ. I'm like, Russ, it's, it's about to be on buddy. I was like, it's a slug fest out here right now. And he got out there, confirmed the same. He's had better success out there than I have. Uh, and that's how that tournament went, at least for me and Russ. Like, we, he and I just battled back and forth on the scoreboard, and we both got into the 90s on that tournament. So uh, they, they were just up there on the beds, and I know what those fish look for when they try to get on beds, at least here in the Tennessee region. So uh, it just happened to fall right in my wheelhouse. You catch me any other time of the year there, and I'm probably – running like a, a chicken with my head cut off because I don't know what I'm doing. So just the timing was right on that one if I had to say anything about it. Yeah. Because, see, I'm, I'm like you. I prefer uh, Priest over O'Hickory. But a lot of that has to do with I'm closer. Sure. And I've only fished O'Hickory twice. And one, one of those was pre-fishing for – I was off work, so I was pre-fishing for a 4 4 Then I fished 4 4 And I skunked the 4 4 So, <laughs> But, it, yeah, I, I hadn't really been able to put anything together on that lake for the times that I have fished it. But They can I, both I, be okay. I just live near them. Therefore, I, you know, if I need to get some fishing in on an abbreviated day, that's where I go. And then if we got an event coming up, and that's where – you know, the club, KBFCN, the club I've been a part of for four or five years is that those are our fisheries. So whether you love them or hate them, and even though there's definitely times to love and hate those fisheries, it's where I've spent the time. So you spend enough time there, you figure out, well, okay, you can at least get bit or uh, there are some good fish in there. You've got to work for them more than a lot of places. It's definitely not the Tennessee River. You know, it's not Texas fisheries or anything. But for what we have here, I think it's – pretty darn good all things considered it can be at least yeah that's one thing that people always say about uh, percy priest said it's either gonna love you or hate you you know it's or, or i guess you're gonna love it or, or hate it you know oh yeah i've had plenty of skunk days there that's for sure trust me i, I don't i don't uh publicize all the skunk days there i, I usually just post the glory photos of the big ones I catch, I'm I'm absolutely guilty of that. But that lake has humbled me plenty of times. So, sorry, I thought you froze up on me for a minute. You know, I asked you about your favorite technique, and then we kind of went off on some other stuff. So, I guess we could circle back around sure. to that a little bit and talk a little bit about. Okay, so since. The conversation we just had, I assume that you throw it a lot around grass. <laughs> That's what you would think, but here's here's where I differ. Most places, like if you're attacking shallow water and you see a lay down, a stump, uh, a patch of grass, 
uh, sparse cover, not not like what you'd typically think for frogging, where you would think mats and just nothing but vegetation. I like using a frog where most guys would pitch a jig to a stump or run a square bill over that lay down um, or throw a spinner bait at, at, at a, 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 you know, a clump of grass or something. I'll use that frog and throw it right at that target, work it right around that target. If I don't get bit right there, reel it in. So I'm very target specific. I'm hitting them very specifically. And I think there's times where any top water, the, the fish is not getting as good of a look at it as he would be if the lure was submerged and in his face, right. Or, or sitting on the bottom, you know, he's not getting that good of a look at it. So I'm, I like to lean on reaction bites more than I do the bites where the fish goes, hmm, I'm going to examine that and then maybe thinking about eating it. Um, the fact that that fish has to look up at it, one, I think there's times when it doesn't scare the fish as much. It's not as intrusive because it's not falling into the water column or into its face. And so I've gotten good to where I know what I need to do with a topwater bait to get that reaction bite or put it, you know, make that, that perfect cast where if I believe a fish is relating to that cover, that fish is probably going to be on this part of the cover or relating to this shade that's, uh, you know, in addition to that cover, it's no different than a, than a guy that's really good with a jig or a, a flipping or a Texas rig that knows how to place it right in that certain spot. I just do that with the top water. Um, and I think the fact that sometimes they can't see it as good gets me that bite. And so I'd rather just make a million casts with a frog, a buzz bait. And I really like covering water with top water and picking off a few of those fish, using my kayak to get extra shallow, making a cast into six inches of water where if there is a fish there, he, he hasn't seen a, a lure in recent boats. Are, I'm going to cast that thing where those bass boats haven't made a cast so that I can put my lure in front of what I call the fresh fish, a, non, a, a less pressured fish. Um, and top water, you know, it don't matter if you're in a hundred foot or, or four inches of water, like you're still good with the top water, especially a, a frog and how weedless and how you can throw it into all kinds of stuff. Um, those lures just, uh, get me bites and I feel like don't startle some fish that normally might be startled if you were to throw in something that falls into the water column more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing I was going to ask is. Are, is are you more prone to throw like a hollow body or like the like the soft plastic frogs? No, I definitely uh, like a hollow body frog. Um, like a spro popping frog has been my go-to for years and years. I'll do some modifications to it, but man, a spro popping frog is my go-to. A lot of guys just like the traditional spro bronze eye frog. Um, I like the popping frog because I can walk it just as easily as I can walk the traditional one. But then if I need to pop it or if I need it to shoot a little bit of water or something like that, that frog can do that too. Um, if anything, I think that popping frog can, uh, you can walk it or kind of move it around in place without it moving out of the strike zone more than just the, the traditional style frog. So that's specifically, specifically for frogging that spro little popping frog has definitely been my go-to the last few years. That and a buzz bait have kind of taken care of most. I used to be a whopper popper guy, but man, all these fish, uh, they, they know what a whopper popper is now. That is what I'm learning. Uh, that bite's definitely tapered off for me. I'm not saying that it's not still a killer on a lot of times, but uh, I've, had, I've had to kind of do some more experimenting because of that. But man, I, as far as recent days, the last couple of years, 
frogging, buzz baiting, and they get it done. They catch the big ones too. They get the big bites. But don't be afraid to use it to, to pick apart cover. You don't got to have grass for it to frog. You know, you think outside of the box a little bit as far as season and what you got. I do a lot of frogging on Percy Priest. You know, even though we've had some grass this year, overwhelmingly that lake is a rock lake with minimal cover. Therefore, you throw a frog out there when I'm pretty sure most guys aren't. Those fish are usually pretty happy to eat it. I got one well, tied on for tomorrow. <laughs> so if you're not, th you know, generally when you hear people talk about throwing a hollow body, they're talking about throwing it in grass, got 65 pound braid on there. What, what do you, are you going like smaller line with you not throwing as much grass or? If I had the budget to do a setup specifically for that, then yeah, I may drop down to 50. I still keep it on my six. It's the same setup that I would use if I was down in Gunnersville in the heavy vegetation too. Um, mm -hmm. The thing is, if you the, when you drop down on the size of your braid, it's going to wear out quicker. And I had a tournament a few years back where uh, I should have won it. I ended up getting third place in the KBF tournament up in Kentucky, not Kentucky Lake, but up at uh, Cedar Creek, Kentucky. And I was frogging that tournament. And I broke off the winning fish multiple times because I was using 50 pound braid that was a little older and it just wasn't built. It was, it was, it just wasn't built for that heavy duty stuff. And I was fishing like full on mats, like the real heavy stuff then. So if you can some fresh braid on there, you can afford to drop down in, in the size of it, but I can put 65 pound braid on there on my frog setup and it'll last me. I won't change it for a year unless I just, you know, get on a fishery for a tournament where I'm just heavy frogging for a week. And I can't remember the last time I did that. I can let that 65 pound braid get me through the whole year. And that's one of my setups that just doesn't change. It stays a frog setup the whole time. So if you, if you cared enough, yeah, you could, you could dial it in, maybe even use a little bit lighter rod too, if you wanted to, but I use a heavy action rod. That's got a little bit of, flex to it so i can still make an accurate cast but my it's just my standard frogging setup it's not perfect but it works for me in any scenario where i'm like oh i need to see what a frog will do here and gets it done all right about the your setup for the frog i've i heard Several people talk about, oh, you want a longer rod, you know, seven six and like that. I've heard several people be like, oh, you want a shorter rod. What, what's your go-to for that? Uh, the rod that I've really, really come to like, and it's and it's a budget rod too. Um, it's an I rod. I think it's a seven five. It's either seven four, seven five. Pretty sure it's a seven five. Um, I'm particular about the, the butt end length of my rods. And I think it's got a 15 and a half inch butt, butt end length, which allows me to really get some leverage on the cast and also drive home a big hook set. Um, you could definitely use, and it's a heavy action eye rod. It's the, uh, uh, now Fred Rumbanis is not with eye rod anymore, but when I bought this rod, he was, and it was called Fred's magic stick. And I think now it's just called the magic stick. If you were to go buy an eye rod, I think it's just the magic stick. Um, but that rod, I, I've, I frog with it. I've owned that, uh, rod multiple times over. If that tells you how much I like it, it's got enough uh, flex to it to where I can still make an accurate cast, but still force fish out of heavy cover, big fish or anything like that. Um, that same rod though, I can use it if I want to, uh, 
throw some medium size like swim baits if i want to go flipping with it i have uh, that exact same rod for flipping um and just so you and everyone else knows i do not own any high-end rods i cannot the way that i pack my rods in my truck they take too much abuse kayak fishing in general my rods stay vertical behind me and i run into trees I beat them up too much. I can't have a high-end rod right now or else I'm going to end up paying the price for it too much. So I've literally never owned anything more than like a, a somewhere in the middle as far as like, you know, price and uh, functionality. So I use low-end to me, like medium-tier rods, I, I suppose. Uh, but they get it done for me and until uh, until I run into a, a company that wants to uh, hook me up with the rod stuff, that's, that's the route I'm going to go for now. So... Man, it, it doesn't take much. Seven five heavy action rod, uh, and and the iRod Fred's Magic Stick does a lot of different stuff for me. But it's for sure my frog and rod. You hear that, rod companies? He's looking for a rod sponsor. Get them <laughs> all on the it. team now. <laughs> it probably didn't help that I'm picky though either, man. I've I've definitely had a few companies like, man, I really like this, but if you know they're they're how they have their their lure keeper on the rod sucks or their their butt end of the rods aren't ever long enough even though the rest of it's perfect so i'm kind of picky as far as like the lower tier to middle tier stuff so that probably doesn't yeah. help either but yeah I, the, I, open for I business feel you there. i feel there i've pretty much most all my rods to uh to uh duck it and you know one you know, I, I really like the sensitivity of them and stuff, but a really big thing with that is the bait keeper. Because, like, mm. there for a while, one of my main rods was this, like, cheap lose rod, and mm-hmm. the bait keeper's behind the reel, and it drove me crazy. And I, I love how that bait keeper on uh, the ducket is in front of the reel. You know, or clip it on there. Yeah. Yeah, there's different, like, if you have... If you have something that's probably going to be a cranked rod, therefore it's going to be a bunch of treble hooks. There's an ideal spot for the hook keeper on that. You can just you can go into such rabbit holes with the rod thing, and uh, I learn a lot through my buddies that have had more experience than I have, and then talking to them or you know, but hey, let me let me try your rod and filling this out and filling that because I just haven't had the money to experiment with the higher end stuff. So uh, I always try to at least like grab my buddy's rod, make a few casts if I ever get the opportunity, just to kind of learn what. I'm missing out on or, you know, different things I appreciate, but, uh, I, I probably haven't done, uh, anywhere near as far as like, uh, peeling back the layers on, on the different routes you can go with rods, man. We'll see if, if I get that at some point, but mm-hmm. what I got gets it done for now. Sean, you've been kind of quiet. You look tired. I'm just listen, I'm a little tired, but no, I'm just taking it. <laughs> in. I, I'm kind of the same way. I, I have, a very limited selection of rods. Um, again, I, I definitely, that's something as I'm learning more and more, I want to uh, get into, um, I, I don't own a heavy rod. So that's one of the things I want to get. I want to get a crank based specific rod. Um, cause most of my stuff's more light action, like medium, medium, heavy, medium, light, that kind of thing. So I definitely know I'm lacking in my arsenal a little bit. So, um, as I get more and more into this, um, I am going to start looking into that. But again, I, I don't have a ton of heavy matted grass, uh, up here where I am either. So, um, that isn't always, 
something that I definitely need to do. I, there, there's a few places I can go where I have it, but um, um, it's definitely not the place. How many times in the year you would you pick up a rod where you'd actually have a use for that? Therefore, is it worth spending the money on a rod that you know would only go for that purpose? Like, that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at too. If I lived on Gunnersville, I'd probably own a, a completely different fleet of rods and you know have a whole different approach, but. We don't get to fish a lot of grass where we're at here currently in the Nashville area. So that I'm going to have rods that cater to mostly that. Yep. Yep. That's kind of the same boat I'm in. And, uh, um, for the, the way I fish and, and where I fish, um, yeah, I, I can cover what I need to do with what I have. Now, if I take a trip down to Gunnersville sometime, then I might have to bum a rod off somebody or, oh, yeah. you know, see what I Beef can find. Yep. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, Jimmy will be throwing his frogging rod at you. Yeah, he did. He did while we were down there. He threw uh, threw one uh, a topwater at me to let me try that, and I got a bite almost right away. I missed it, of course. Oh, but dude, that that was so cool. We we were all three right there together, and uh, and we it was kind of a flat, a shallow flat over here on the river, and you saw a fish like jump and Jimmy's like, that's what I look for, for top water. He just grabbed the rod. He's like, Sean, you know how to use a bait caster? He's like, he's like, yeah, all right. And he had a, uh, uh, like a walking bait on there. And he like threw it at Sean, made Sean throw, Sean threw it one cast and he got hit on it. He missed it, but that, yeah. like, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah it was cool. cool. Yep. It was a spook I, and I, twitched it like three times and it hit like right away and God. then i almost hit jimmy with the because i yanked it and it came flying back at me and went past <laughs> me and jimmy's like oh my god yeah that's it i've got stories about laura's coming back and, and uh hitting you, hitting you i i i wasn't gonna bring that up because like everybody <laughs> they asked you about that i know uh, so i <laughs> Well, it doesn't get brought up as much when I when I don't have a, a giant gap in my mouth and I'm talking to people. It's funny how that, how that works, too. Yeah, you get all that taken care of. God, yeah, only several thousand dollars later. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I've been plenty close I, a lot of times. So, And I, Jimmy's like, no, no, it's more of a sweep hook set, you know, <laughs> trying to help me. But sure. that, I, luckily... Well, that's a hard habit to like. Oh yeah. So used to hook set. I've I've been you know I've been on the crankbait kick here lately. I've caught several fish off the crankbait so far, but you know even now I still want to like set the hook like I'm. Yeah. Well, and part of that is just my newbiness uh, and being so excited that I got a bite or a blow up on a topwater, and I'm like, <laughs> holy crap. I've, I've learned that like i've started guiding this year and like several of my clients have i'm like oh my gosh some of these guys like really hammer hone a, a hook set on a technique that doesn't really require it or you know they'll do a super hard cast on something that you just need like a you know a subtle swing cast and uh or not set the hook not drive the hook home like i yelled at my buddy he got a kick out of it but i yelled at my buddy this spring like he wasn't I mean, we were sight fishing. I was like, dude, you got to jack them, man. I was like, you got to drive that hook home. And uh, I've learned that not everyone does it the same way as I do. Now, you know, after I get out there on the boat or, or fish next to them, and a few of my clients are reminding me of that. A few of them, I was like, man, they are about to break off whatever I got tied on for them right now because they are, they are, they are hossing it. Swinging well, for the fences. That, 
that's just something that you kind of got to learn with each ticket. It is. And it kind of makes me think of, okay, so last year I finally got into like using a net and I was using it on every fish to try try to just get that motion down on using a net. I was using it on every fish, Uh, big, tiny, didn't matter if I had a fish on there, I was using it. And, you know, I posted pictures where you could see the fish was, like, in the net. Like, it wasn't trying to get the net in there, but, you know, you could see the fish was in the net or whatever. Posted on Instagram and had people be like, you really need a net for that fish? And I'm like, no, I didn't need a net for that little fish, but, you know. But the, 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 the act of netting the fish, yeah. takes, you know, and from a kayak, it's a totally different thing, too. It's not like you can you know run up a bass boat or whatever like and the type of net you have makes a big difference too like i've seen that um so you're you're smart to do so ryan to practice the netting process like i know me mine that's one of the most specific things on my setup my net stays in a very certain spot i make sure there's nothing that that netting can catch on if i pull it off my boat um that would prevent me from getting that fish i net my fish 99% 99% of the time on the same side of the boat, I will, even if I'm hooked up on one, the one side, I will walk my fish over to the other side and net him from there because I know that in one mode, I know what that motion is. You know, that muscle memory of like that fish is about to jump or I'm about to pull it to the surface, scoop the net, like all in one motion because you may only get that one chance if you've got yeah. a, a weak hook on there. Um, so practicing that and getting that down is an important part. Um, I, I know I missed a state championship by one fish a few years back that I should have just had a net for. And that fish made me go out and buy a net, uh, immediately after that. You, you know, it's crazy. Guess who doesn't use a net and hasn't for probably a couple decades. Oh boy. Russ Snyder's dude doesn't even have hmm. a net on his boat at all. So all the times, all the times you see that dude winning. He's just grabbing them fish, no matter if they got treble hooks or what. So imagine uh, if that guy's uh, actually starting. I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> no, nope, I can't do either. that. I mean, me you neither. watch YouTube, uh, indie yak angler. He's like picking these fish up, holding it with like whopper plopper two treble hooks in his mouth. Hell I'm, no! I'm like, I'm like, no, no. I'm. He's gonna shake, and he's gonna get me all in the hand, and I'm right. I'm gonna drop it. Even if him's gonna like rip the hook through my <laughs> skin, and yeah, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Yep. I have. If, I, 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 does a net prevent that? Yes. Then give me the net. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how I feel too. But yeah, I'm asking for it. Otherwise. Yeah, it's only but, a matter of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what uh, what I was really getting at though was, you know, me like practicing that technique has got me pretty good. When I caught my PB, I got it up by the boat. I knew how much line I needed out whenever I raised my rod exactly. up and scooped it right up like a pro, you know, See? even though I had never fought a fish that big before anywhere close yep. to that big. Like I, I netted it great because I had that. But you're prepared. Then, yeah. You knew how to, you knew how to one hand needed to work the net. The other need, you know, leverage the rod. So that's, a, you know, that your practice got you that fish. It sounded like. You know? Yeah. And, and see what I was getting at is, you know, kind of the same thing with those hook sets, you know, doing the sweeping hook set, you know, you got, you got to get that practice in on it to learn it. You're, you know, you're probably going to lose some big fish by jerking it out of its mouth if you're not practicing that. 
some some of the best learning days um, are the days where you have numbers. It doesn't have to be big fish, but you get a bunch of bites, especially if they're willing to bite on a bunch of different techniques. You can kind of learn some subtleties, whether it's the actual physically landing the fish or, uh, you know, presenting a lure one way. The days when you get into numbers of fish tend to be some of the most educational days. I know my best numbers days, like when I've cleared that 50 fish mark uh, a few times, it's always been on Gunnersville. Um, I've still never had a big fish day on Gunnersville, but man, you can really like learn uh, just a lot from just getting fish after fish after fish on, on a place that has a, a good, healthy population of, of uh, bass to catch in there. So just catching a bunch of them. Whenever, whenever I have a day like that where I know the fish are kind of willing to bite any number of baits, those are the days when I'll test out stuff that I don't have the competence in or I'm not real sure how to present that lure that way, just catching those fish that day, whether it's mostly just the fish being aggressive and not so much what I'm doing gives me that confidence to throw that lure in a future setting. When I think it may be beneficial to me. A 50 fish day. Oh, you'll get them, dude. You get on the Tennessee river. You can, <laughs> dude, you, oh, you, it's, it's, I mean, they're schooled up. Like, it's not I'm, like you're, you're like they're in schools when you catch them like that, but they're. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm having like a fifty fish year. What are you? Doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe, believe me, you can you can go like a month and catch like you know as many fish as you can count on one hand, and then show up at another place and you just catch. I've got some really arrogant footage that I'll never let get seen of from my GoPro on Gunnersville where I'm you know it's one of those fifty plus fish days, but I've I've literally got my head and my back turned to the fish and I'm casting over my shoulder. And not even ever looking at the fish and catching them like that, and then presenting them to the camera without ever having looked at my cast or the fish. But, you should uh, post that. No, you it's way too, way, way too <laughs> arrogant to do that. I just had to do it out of my own amusement. But it, trust me, you'll get those days. Like you just run into them schooling, and if there's enough population of them, you'll you'll have some fun. I'm still waiting for those days, but yeah, hopefully sometime. Yeah, Tennessee River, man, that's why that place is special because you get. <laughs> somewhat commonly run into i mean talk to jimmy or anyone that fishes this uh, tennessee river regularly it's not too hard to get into that no matter what your skill level is uh the, the distance is more of the thing for me <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah not i don't know, I don't know what numbers like getting up in your your area sean i don't know what uh the good numbers places are um, I mean, the Susquehanna, I've heard there's places where you can, can slam. That. Um, I just haven't really made that trip either. It's not far, not nearly as far for me, but definitely something I want to look, uh, uh, take a trip to. Um, there's a place, uh, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't say it, but uh, yeah, you don't have to. Don't, they always say, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty well known. There's a, a Statue of Liberty that's in the middle of Susquehanna up above uh, okay. Harrisburg and and they say if you go to that general area, it's it's a really good a good place. So, Lady Liberty Liberty delivers on that spot. Yeah. Apparently, yes. Uh, uh, it's not a huge secret, but uh, I, I have had people be like, "Shh." Okay. No. Oh man, We're, you're gonna get so much hate mail after this. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've been going for a while now, so. I guess we can start winding down here. Um, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on here and talking with you. You know, just when we were at Dale Hollow, you came up to the cabin and stayed the night with us that after the tournament. 
And you, we had already talked about bringing you on here, but like everybody's like just sitting in the couches, just talking and just listening to you talking fishing. It was like, man, you could really learn a lot from this guy just sitting here listening to him. I love but, it. It's so. what I like doing. It's like, it's, it's kind of hard to get me to shut up sometimes. That's where I guess if anyone needs like some uh, podcast talk for fishing stuff, I'm pretty good for that because whether, whether there's a, a mic recorder or not, there's a good chance I'm on the phone talking fishing with a buddy or, uh, as long as I'm not out doing it, I'm probably talking about it or at least thinking about it to some sort. So uh, it's it's not asking much for me to, to get into fishing discussions, that's for sure. Yeah. And what's crazy, to be honest, the first couple times that I met you, like you came across as like really shy. Like, like, it was like, oh, you I'm talking I'm, a whole I'm lot. I'm quiet and low key. For yeah, sure. yeah. I'm a low, I'm a low, well, I'm a low volume guy for the most part. Um, so as well, we talk though, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would much rather sit and observe uh, in most cases. But hey, if you want to talk fishing, I've got I'm, I'm, my brain's always like I always have concepts and theories, and I really like testing out new stuff. I like staying ahead of the curve on lure trends. Um, I've had fun exploring like the big swim bait thing the last few years here, where uh, it's not as prevalent as it would be out west. So I'm just I'm I'm always eager to learn. Therefore, I always like talking about it too. And I fished solo uh, out of a kayak for so long, um, even into the tournament fishing, I would, I would kind of roll solo to events and stuff uh, up until the last year and a half or so where I've actually started uh, sharing info or staying in a house with a handful of guys. But uh, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a topic. It, it is my passion. It's what I do. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to it. Uh, so therefore I like hearing what other guys are experiencing out there in the water in the garage too. You know, it's, it's, it really is my passion. Yeah. Just sitting down in the basement and listening to everyone talk is, it, I mean, the amount of knowledge that gets just transferred back and forth is amazing. So <laughs> it's, it's a big reason why you see like the, the nationally traveling guys that do the events. I promise you a big reason that you see repeated success in them. Is because they house together. They share info, not enough to where you'd step on someone's toes doing it, but like whether it's just one little lure modification for that event, um, little things, you'll learn something each and every time. Uh, like there, there's a dude here, uh, Josh Sharp, who fishes our club. In the last several weeks, he's just really kicked butt on the national events. That guy, when I think of people that are young and eager to learn, um, that are turning that eagerness to learn into success through uh, applying uh, what they're what they're understanding. That's it. Uh, the you, as far as on a competitive tournament into things, your most dangerous guys are the ones that are most eager to learn and then most willing to go out there and uh, uh, experiment and, and execute on a lot of that stuff. Absolutely, I, I totally agree. See, I'm the opposite. I like to uh, just throw what I know, and hopefully it gets fit. <laughs> well, just learn what you like knowing. Like, try a little bit of everything, technique-wise, lure-wise. And then you can come back to, like, okay, these are, like, my staples. I don't need to worry about that other stuff. And then you're good. But you got to try it all. Even the stuff that you're like, man, that looks stupid or that's a pain to throw. Like, I at least want to learn everything, even if I'm not going to use it or if I want to write it off. Like, man, it's been a couple of years since I've jig fished, to be honest with you. Uh, and so and I, if that if that bite's going, I'm going to lose, you know. I, I guess it's kind of like, you know, they talk about when you're uh, pre 
preparing for a tournament, eliminating water, I guess, eliminating yes. techniques. <laughs> yeah. You know, you learn them a little bit. That way, if that's the only thing that's working, you at least know a little bit about it. But after you've kind of dabbled in stuff, find like the stuff that's more in your wheelhouse that you're cozy with that you've had those most success with, and then lean on that a little bit. And I'm, I mean, I'm probably five years in the tournament fishing, like strictly tournament fishing. And I'm just now in the last year or so starting to find out, like, okay, these are things that are very much in my comfort zone or just repeated success anytime I uh, kind of commit to those one or two or three techniques for an event. Cool. Um, appreciate you coming on here once again. Um, you got sponsors, any of that good stuff you want to shout out? Man, I'm overdue for uh, putting out a video for Yak Attack. I've been with Yak Attack for a while now, and you know anyone that's got a kayak probably has at least one accessory on their boat from Yak Attack. Um, I need to get something out there for them. I, I've been wanting to do a full rundown on my entire boat, my entire setup, like uh, just to get something out there to show like what my what I look, what my rig looks like on tournament day, um, and, and much of that has to do with a, a lot of the stuff that I rig up with Yak Attack on there. So. Uh, Yak Attack's the only one that i got to give uh, credit to right now. Um, and again, I've been saying this week on some of the other podcasts, like the tournament directors, the, the podcast hosts like yourselves, anyone that's burning calories, sacrificing time, that's not casting a lore, you know, those are the, that, that's fording and, and benefiting are, are what I consider are still new sport. There's still a lot of pioneering going on. These people are the ones I'm extra grateful for because they're keeping that road paid for uh, the, the hardcore anglers like myself that have a little co to contribute uh, on the business end of things, at least currently, uh, and just want to fish all the time. So I'm just grateful for everyone that uh, puts in the effort to make our sport what it is and to uh, keep going that direction. Yeah. We, we do what we can. Yeah. <laughs> it's valuable. I promise you it's valuable, man. And it's not easy doing all this stuff. Like learning like audio and video and uh, all the ins and outs of that and trying to do it, especially rolling live and trying to do it without messing up, man. That's like, that's a big deal. You know, I bet you didn't own that mic in front of you before this podcast, right? I did. Did you? Yeah. This, this mic is before this podcast. Music. Oh, like that's a record, whole record music. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I come from the music uh, world. But, I've, I've toured all over the world as a musician. Now, don't wow. get that twist, though. Like, I'm not saying I'm good at music either, but <laughs> you know, there was a time where I was writing songs, good or bad. You know, I was writing okay. songs. And so, uh, yeah, I bought a, a recording set up and got a mic and, yeah. Man, we're in the Nashville area. Anytime you're in the Nashville area, what you find is like whatever hobby you're involved with, especially when it involves other buddies and friends that's not music, you find out that you could probably form a band based on whoever's sitting around in that circle, and they'd probably be really good because <laughs> there's so much saturated talent here in uh, in this area because of it being the music industry here. Every, everyone can secretly like play guitar really well or you know can write or sing. That's it's a it's a stereotype, but it's pretty darn true around here. I I, I can do metal screams. Uh, people, say. people don't believe me till they hear it. But <laughs> can you really, dude, that's yeah. I, so the music I toured in was like metal and punk rock and stuff. That's oh really? The bands I used to be in. So that sounds like a conversation for another night. Yeah, yeah. 
We'll have to get back up to the Dale Hollow and uh, get a few drinks in me. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or a few drinks out of you in whichever uh-huh. you yeah. at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, social media, you want to shout out some social media? Adam Riser Fishing um, at Facebook, Instagram, A D A M R I S E R Fishing, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I d- I'm doing a guide. Uh, stuff here in the middle tennessee region whether you, you want to hit up percy priest old hickory dill hollow really anywhere here you know it's all in the same like hour and a half two hour radius and uh, i'm pretty cozy to all the lakes here and i enjoy teaching i enjoy uh seeing other people catch fish and learn and uh as as the son of two teachers it's uh something that comes pretty easy to me as far as uh, giving instruction and uh, again it goes back to me just liking to talk about it so if you want to learn, uh, I feel like I can offer you something. Or if you just want to catch you some fish, I can probably put you on them too. So uh, feel free to reach out to me and contact me for any guide stuff. I'm happy to do that, especially here coming into the uh, fall, winter months when uh, there's a lot of really good fishing here in Middle Tennessee during that time. So my favorite stuff of the year is going to be in the next few months. Awesome. Yeah. I wish I lived closer. <laughs> yeah, well, whenever you're neighbor, in the neighborhood, you know, holler at me, man. Whenever when anyone's rolling through Nashville, give me a shout. Even if I can't make it out there, I'm happy to be like, oh, you know, maybe Tom this and maybe go here and you probably won't have a terrible day. So yeah, reach out to me, man. I'm happy to uh, uh, throw anyone a bone, talk a little fishing. Awesome. Yeah, here in a couple of weeks, I might need to go on a, a guided tour. By Come on. <laughs> Come on. We'll be here. Alrighty, well, uh, thanks again for being on, Adam. It's been awesome. Um, guys, this has been the Bass Fishing Noob segment of the Paddle and Fin Podcast. We're bringing you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Thanks, and have a good night, everyone. Later. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler. The Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. TRC Covers, protect your investment. Catch Products, shout out to Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com and put the Paddle in Fin logo directly on your catch board. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20, and save 20 20% on all your jig and tackle needs.